doesn't go well, like if the sound's being funny or something's going on, guess what? God's still giving glory. It doesn't change anything. So people are passing out some papers. I'm pulling a Jerry Greaser today. I got something for you. So we're all going to learn together today. I hope that's okay. And whoever's passing them out, thank you. Hi, Bill. We're doing great. Jakes is. I feel like TD Jakes right now. <laughs> Sweating like a freight train up here. Are you good to go, Olivia? She is. We're going to talk about prayer this morning. Is that okay with you guys? Whoever feels like prayer can be complicated. Do you ever feel unqualified, under-equipped? I see Bill's busy. What's your prayer life look like? What does it feel like? Do you feel connected? Do you feel like you're hitting out of the park every time you say a prayer? feel like you're striking out every time? That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Let's start off with one of the first things that I, as a new creation believer, we need to know first and foremost, God's not mad at you. That's important in your prayer life. If you think God's mad at you, it distorts your focus, your perspective. First thing to recognize that God is not angry at mankind, that's us, anymore. He is no longer imputing or holding our sins against us. How do we know this? We're we'll going to open the word to 2 Corinthians 5.19. It says, God was, in, God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not counting their trespasses, which is our sins, against them, and has committed to, the, to, us, the, committed to us the word of reconciliation. We are now reconciled to God through Jesus. That means what? We are in harmony and friendly with God right now. He's not mad. He's not even in a bad mood. Thor between God and man is over. That's what the angels proclaimed at the birth of Jesus. So on your question sheet, the first one, God's not what? God's not mad at us. If God's not mad, where's the peace, right? Does it seem pretty peaceful right now? There's a big misconception with where is the peace. Luke 2.14 says what? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. This verse we read a lot and hear a lot at Christmas time, but it's misunderstood a lot. These angels weren't saying that peace would reign on earth and that the wars between people would cease. That certainly hasn't happened. They were proclaiming the end of the war between God and man. Jesus paid a price that was infinitely greater than sin's of the whole human race. So on your sheet, it says what? Jesus' sacrifice paid what? In full. The debt of sin for all mankind. Tammy, thank you. The next thing, this is a must we must remember. We are new covenant believers. 
I'm not saying the old covenant was bad. It was good. But we need to pray for the position of, as a new covenant believer. God's anger has been satisfied. Jesus changed everything. God isn't angry. His mercy extends to all people. He loves the world, not just the church, but the whole world. He paid for all sin. John, 1 John 2.2 says, And he is the appropriation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. In the Old Testament, God's judgment was poured out on both individuals and nations. We've read that, right? Many times. But in the New Testament, God's judgment was poured out on who? Jesus. A lot of people think and believe if God doesn't judge America, he will have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But if we are honest about this way of thinking, if God judges America, he will have to apologize to Jesus. Understanding what Jesus did completely changes our perspective. That's why it is the nearly too good to be true news of the gospel. <coughs> Excuse me for a second. We no longer get what we deserve. We get what Jesus paid for, paid the price for, if we only believe. Here's a big one for us. Who's our mediator? Jesus. Jesus is now the mediator, our intercessor. A mediator is one who seeks to reconcile or make peace between two opposing parties. In the Old Testament, man had not yet been reconciled to God through Jesus. The people needed a moderate, a mediator, someone to intercede with God on their behalf. That's where we find people like Abraham and Moses pleading with God. From these and other stories in the Old Testament, modern-day intercessors believe we stand in the gap or mediate between God and man. They believe we must plead with God to save the lost, to withhold his wrath from those he's ready to judge, to be merciful to those whose needs he is unwilling to meet because of their unworthiness. This couldn't be further from the truth. But it's what's being taught in many churches today. It ignores the fact that Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father, ever making intercession for us. If Moses or Abraham could persuade God, don't you think Jesus could do a little better? That's an absolute yes. I am roasting up here. You got Jody's hot flashes going on over here. That's a great idea. Who said that? Like heaven right now, thank you. First Timothy two five, we read, what's it say? For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So your next question on your page is Jesus is the one what? Mediator between God and man. Under the new covenant, Jesus is the only mediator needed to stand between God and the Father and mankind. Sin is no longer a problem with God. It's been atoned for. And we are now the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. That is how God sees us. If we understand that, it will change the way we pray. If I still feel like I'm stuck over here somewhere, I don't have a, if it doesn't have the Father's ear, I'm going to pray different. 
We want to earn something to get something. We've been deceived into believing prayer is all about persuading God to release his power. We believe that he can save, heal, and deliver, but that he is waiting on us to shape up and earn it, to be qualified. You ever write something down on your paper and your handwriting's so bad you can't even read it? I'm there right now. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> the truth is we don't deserve it and we never will be good enough but because of Jesus and all that God has is ours that's the good news we no longer need to beg or plead we need to exercise keyword there exercise the authority he has given us and receive his blessings so the next question answer your question is we need to what Exercise the authority he has given us and receive his blessings. Your next question. Who sits at the right hand of the Father and intercedes for us? Jesus. By the way, this is how the youth do it every on Wednesday night. You're getting a youth teaching, but they lead it. We don't. I couldn't make, we should do it. Just pass the mic on you guys. Just lead and we'll just go. I'll just sit down and watch. Let's lead us to the next topic. Is Satan real? Yes or no? Yes. I've heard people say, oh, he's not real. He's real. John 8, 31. And you know, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What is the truth? What? Jesus. Where can we find more truths at? In his word, right? So that brings us to the next question. So what are we fighting? Ephesians 6, 10 through 12 tells us, as you read it, a final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power, put on all of God's armor. Notice it didn't just say, just put your shoes on or put the helmet on, all of God's armor, so that you will be able to stand firm against all strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So it's class time again. Are we fighting against flesh and blood, yes or no? No. What is the unseen world? Spirit realm. Things we can't see their natural eye, correct? So what must we do so that we'll be able to resist the enemy? We just read it. Put on the armor. What is the makeup of God's armor? We have the belt of what? Truth. God's body armor of? Anybody know? Righteousness. Shoes of? Peace. Comes from the good news that you will be fully prepared. Hold up the shield of? Faith. To stop the enemy's fiery darts. Helmet of salvation. 
I just gave the answer. You're welcome. You are God's, period. Nothing can change that. Your salvation is sealed forever once you believe and call in the name of Jesus. And lastly, take up the sword of what? Spirit, which is the word of God. If I get up in the morning and put on just my shoes and walk out the door, I'm going to look pretty funny, ain't I? Maybe my helmet. Probably get the cops called. It's not good, right? So why don't we do the same thing when it comes to God's armor? Who has to put it on? It's already yours. It's right. It's in your closet. You just got to open it up and put it on, right? We have to put it on. We have to make the conscious effort. And then it tells us what happens when we do that, right? It affords us the ability to Put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. You ever feel like the fiery darts just keep coming, but yet for some reason you can't block them? Makes you think of the train station. If I get to the train station, I got my ticket. If I don't board, do I go anywhere? Still sit in the train station. I have to depart. I have to go. I got to get on. The armor is the same way. We have to put it on. So here's a big question. This is a good one. This is one that I find a lot talking with people at work and um, believers, non-believers. What power does Satan actually have? The only power that Satan has is the power of deception. That is it. And, and the worst thing about deception is that you don't even know you're being deceived. Otherwise, it wouldn't be deception. Once the truth is received, deception loses all its power. Therefore, Satan loses all his power when we know the truth. Brings us to the next question. Is Satan defeated? He came up out of that grave, didn't he? <coughs> Big fat yes. Many people don't know the truth about Satan's defeat. In fact, many Christians are, very, are the very instrument the devil is using to foster the deception that he is still a powerful foe. Most of us here, at one time or another, has fallen into this trap and this deception. Guilty. Spiritual warfare is one of the hottest topics in the church today. People are expending great amount of energy, constantly battling the devils in ways contrary to Scripture. But in reality, Satan has already been defeated. We don't need to defeat him again. We need to, know, we need to believe and know that Satan has already been completely destroyed and simply enforces defeat. Let's look at Hebrews 2.14. Because God's children are human beings, made of flesh and blood, the Son also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could, being could he die, and only by dying could he break the power of the devil, who had the power of death. The power of death was broken with life, with the life, death, and resurrection of God's only Son, Jesus Christ. The end. Now, if they add nothing to it, finished. The only power Satan has is the power to deceive. Our battle should be against 
the wiles, trickery of the devil, not the devil himself. Any other approach is actually giving the devil authority and power, which he doesn't have, and he uses that to intimidate us. The only weapon Satan has is the power we give him when we believe his lies. That's it. Nothing else. I got it. When we have youth, right, just to give you a synopsis of how we do our youth, we bring our lesson and the kids walk. We go in a room and we sit in a circle. So it's kind of like a small group feel. And the kids will read these things off and answer them. So bless Brady's heart. He read this, because this is the youth teaching, by the way, we're getting today. He read this. He goes, our battle should be against the willies of the devil. Oh, man, we laughed so hard. It was hilarious. Love you, Brady, wherever you're at. Remember, warfare only takes place between two undefeated foes. Once an enemy has been conquered, guess what? The war is over. Satan is a defeated foe. Say that with me. Satan is a defeated foe. Man, you guys are full of energy today. Coffee's back there. I love the message version, Eugene Peterson, how he writes Colossians 2.15. He says, when you were stuck in your old sin, dead life, you were incapable of responding to God. God brought you alive right along with Christ. Think of it. All sins forgiven, the slate wiped clean, that old arrest warrant canceled and nailed to, the, and nailed to Christ's cross. He stripped all the spiritual tyrants in the universe of their sham authority at the cross and marched them naked through the streets. This means that after Jesus defeated Satan, he stripped him of everything he had, specifically the keys of death and hell. Satan has no power to imprison anyone. When I read this, it's a great example of what he's talking about here, about the Roman soldiers. Upon conquering an enemy, the Romans would hold a parade. They would take the conquered king, strip him naked, drag him through the crowd behind the conquering king or commander for all the subjects to see. He'd be humiliated and insulted, but that's not all. They would also cut off his thumbs of his hands and the big toes of his feet. This was to assure the subjects this enemy would never be a threat to any of them again. He could not hold a sword, and he would never be able to run again. There was no need to fear him anymore. Any rumor about him ever challenging Rome again would be scoffed at because the citizens had seen him in the parade. That's exactly what Jesus did to the enemy. So the next answer on your sheet was, Satan has been what? Defeated. <clears throat> the same thing happened to the devil. That's what this verse is referring to. Jesus not only be the devil, but had a triumphant procession display of the devil to the universe as a totally conquered foe. Satan should never terrify us again. Satan is still alive, and we do have to reckon with him, but only because he has so many lies to about his power against us. These are all lies, and therein lies Satan's power. If we believe his lies, he then uses our own authority, which our fear grants him, to work his destruction in our lives. He has no power of his own. He's using the power and authority that our misdirected faith, that mis, that mis, that our misdirected faith gives him. 
Here's why we're getting to it. Why is it important to understand that the enemy has been defeated when it comes to our prayer language? Anybody have an idea? What's that? Your faith is stronger. Proverbs 18.21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Our words are seeds, and what we speak, we see grow. Your words matter. If you believe that the enemy has a hold on you, will it not change how you speak? You're bound up. You're stuck to something that's not true. You're believing a lie. So your language is going to be different. Speak from a place of victory. The truth that says, my God is greater than through the power of Jesus who resides on the inside of me. He has given me the authority to speak to that mountain and it will be cast into the sea. Who has to speak to that mountain? We do. If I feel like the enemy stopped me from casting that in the mountain, is it going to go? It's going to sit right there in front of me. And when we speak to that mountain, you're not making that mountain move. Guess what? God did that 2,000 plus years ago, so you're just believing something that's already happened. You're not making it move. You're just believing what God said. Hey, if you speak it, guess what? It's going to move because I did it for you. It's his work. You're not making anything move. He did the work for you. <clears throat> a lot of Christians get tripped up on that. They feel like they have to do something to get something. You're just believing something and walking in faith. Watch it happen. Let's not forget that we have the full what? Armor. That's right. Repeat. Of God to put on daily to protect us and allow us to stand upright as we face Satan's accusations and lies and his deceptions. So we must pray from the position of who you are in him and what he's done for you. Pray from that position of knowing that you are loved, that you're not alone, that God is with you, that the battle the enemy thinks he is winning has already been lost. So stand firm with what you know is true, and that truth is Jesus. Why? Because words matter. Your position matters. You're, you're the head, not the tail of Jesus' eyes. You are co-heirs in Christ. You're adopted sons and daughters. So how do you pray from that position? We have this conversation in youth all the time. We make the youth, we make the youth pray. They'll start us off, and we make a game out of it, and they'll close us in prayer. Now, I understand we're dealing with 6 through 12, or 6 through 12 graders, so depending who's praying, you get a lot of different things sometimes, and sometimes it's hilarious. But we really encourage them when they start off. This is a common one for the young ones. God, if you will, hopefully let us get home safe tonight, and hopefully we'll learn something today. What's that sound like? And so we encourage them to change their language to say, Father God, I thank you that I know that I'm going to get home safe tonight because you're my protector, you're my redeemer. I thank you, Father God, that I have your mind that I'm going to receive something that's going to take. I'm going to hold fast and know it's true and walk in it. Hear the difference? What did I just exercise? Say it again. Your authority, my faith, right? How many of us here as adults, and I'm guilty. This is for you today, because I know that we're guilty of this. We pray from the first position. Oh, Father God, if it's your will, I just, I just want what you want, Father God. What does he want? 
He's already told you what he wants. You're well, you're alive, you're full of the Holy Spirit. Walk it out. Change your language. Speak life. Don't speak death because as soon as you start getting pulled into this avenue of not speaking and exercising what you know is true in your authority, your language changes. Your prayers change. Be bold. Knowing what your father did for you through his son that's in you. Watch your team, you want to come back up? That'd be awesome. Another thing we do in the youth, this is going to be fun for me. I can't wait. Give me a takeaway from this morning's message. Yeah, this means you got to answer. Somebody give me one. Give me a takeaway. What'd you learn? Look at there, one of my youth. Bold and proud of her. TJ, what do you got? God's not mad at us. See how that works? That's boldness. Give me something else. Chris. Victory in Jesus. What else? Speak life. What else? Satan's a liar. Jane, what do you got? He's defeated. What else? Terry, what do you got? You're victorious. You can repeat. His are allowed to repeat. What else you got? Jesus. Put on your armor. That's a big one, Danny. We do. Who exercises it? We do. We do. Speak life. That's vital. You change your language, you change your attitude. TJ's got another one. He's Mr. Go-Getter today. That's right. He's that way on Wednesdays too, just so you know. He's a bold one. So what we learned today, Jesus is our what? Our mediator. And Satan is what? Defeated. Pray from that position of who you are in him. It changes your perspective. It changes your heart. It changes your mind. It changes... It'll change the atmosphere around you. It's, it becomes infectious. People are drawn to it because they're like, oh, I want what that guy's got or what she's got. What's she doing differently? Nothing different. We're just believing we know it's true and what's in here. What Jesus did for us. What's that? It gives you hope. Amen. Remember, the battle has been won. The war is over, the enemy has been defeated, and you have been blessed with his authority. Exercise that with your language when you pray. Words matter, context matters. Walk in victory with your prayers, your words, your attitude, your heart, your smile. Let his light shine and let his finished work on the cross do the work for you. Ask, believe, and receive the name of Jesus. Watch what happens. Period. God loves you. He is not mad at you. He sees you, and he hears you. In Jesus' name, everybody says... Amen. Let's worship.